This episode is sponsored by The International Educator. Many of you know part of my professional background is both in career development and education, which means I get a number of educators asking me how they can launch their careers abroad. If that's you, you need The International Educator, which connects English-speaking teachers with opportunities at international schools around the world. Not only do you find out about vacancies, but you get much-needed information on topics as varied as housing options, tax-free salaries, and professional development. And here's the thing. All subjects and grade levels are needed. For a limited time only, Thai is offering discounts on memberships for Global Chatter listeners. So visit ThaiOnline.com and use the promo code GLOBALCHATTER to save on your membership today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. This is Amanda Bates, founder of The Black Expat and host of the Global Chatter podcast. I have wanted to get Kuda Makoni on this podcast for forever. We've been acquaintance for a good long while, and I'm pretty sure I've been following him and his career since 2016. The big reason is Kuda is a Zimbabwean-American chef who is passionate about the culinary arts and hospitality industries. He has run and set up highly profitable kitchens in the U.S., UAE, Bahrain, Zimbabwe, and is now a member of the Group Sebastian Leadership, which he now serves as Group Executive Chef based in Accra, Ghana. And Kuda has worked for all kinds of brands, including Radisson Blue, Shade, The Coffee Club, Starbucks, IHG, just to name a few. He has an avid love for Pan-African and Afrofusion cuisine, and especially merging them with the more popularized West, North, and East African cuisines. So in this episode, you can imagine we talk a lot about food, but we also talk about his move and adjustment to the U.S. as a young person on the cusp of adulthood. He shares his personal journey of trying to find the right spaces to fit in and how his eventual journey into the culinary world just about changed everything. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, don't forget to subscribe, review it, and share it with a friend. Welcome to the Global Chatter. All right, so this is the latest episode of the Global Chatter. And I am actually happy because it's normal time for me, but it's actually later for my guests because I'm always the one that's up at like 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. trying to record Kuda. And so I'm so glad you, you may not be glad, but I'm so glad that you're taking the time hit because normally I take it. So how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm actually really good. It's been a really laid back day for me today. So it's it's super late, but it's also a good time to actually get this done. Um done with work. So I'm really chilling and about to turn in. So <laughs> I'm excited. I'm, I'm I'm excited to to actually finally do this. Right. And for y'all, you may have heard this in the intro. I've been trying to do this with 
you know, with him for at least two years. So, <laughs> so, so the fact that, that I finally have him in the black expat space, I am so excited about this. And I want to actually ask you this off the bat. How long have you been in Accra? So it's four, it's been four and a half years now. I moved here, I think November, 2018. Okay. So you moved like roughly about a year or so before COVID hit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that was an experience. (laughs) It was, it was. Fun fact, like I was looking at a job around that same time in Ghana and I ended up staying in the States, but then I, I I remember thinking, huh, I wonder what that would have looked like if I was in Accra. <laughs> oh, you, 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 you might have been one of those few people that got onto the planes that were picking up people up. <laughs> I might have got. We, we we were all trying to get onto those planes. <laughs> oh no! It just oh, didn't no. happen. <laughs> so I like to start from the beginning because people need to know context. Sure. So, where were you born and raised? So I was born in Zimbabwe to Zimbabwean parents. Uh, I lived in Zimbabwe till just at the end of high school in Zim. And we relocated to the United States when everyone was kind of leaving Zimbabwe. Um, for whatever reason, they were leaving Zimbabwe. We immigrated to the U.S. and I, I spent a good chunk of my years there. Oh, wow. How old were you when you moved to the States? I was 18. All right. So you were right at the cusp of adulthood. Yes. Oh, my yes. God. And I think it was, uh, it was actually a turning point for me in so many ways. Um, because like you said, I'm getting into my motherhood. And I was also still a child. And then I get thrown into a fast-paced life that was beyond what I was seeing on TV. Mm-hmm. And so it really altered a lot of how I did things in my early adulthood. Um, and a lot of other things that didn't make my mom so happy about. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was really an eye-opening moment for me, likewise. What state did you guys move to? So we moved to Texas, um, lived in Dallas, and then I got tired of Dallas, moved to California, moved to New York, and then moved back to California. Wow. So, you know, you brought up something really interesting, and I I was thinking about this because my family's Cameroonian. Oh, wow what it means to move from a predominantly black country. Right. And in your case, you moved at 18. Right. So, you know, I, I've done people heard this podcast before. No, I did the reverse. I was born in the States and moved to Cameroon at 10 and then moved back at 17. So I have some of that experience of coming as a, as a teenager or as a young adult, but I mean, this was your first time living in the States, right? Yes. Yeah, what was that like for you? It was crazy because the decision was, do I do another year of high school or do I just jump straight into college? And I I think the decision that we took was not the right one because I went straight to college. Mm -hmm. And that was now an even crazier experience. And if I'd had an opportunity to reverse that, I would have definitely taken my, um, my, 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 my year in high school and experienced American culture, lifestyle, probably at a lower pace setting than what I experienced in college. But I also won't take that away from, from, from the whole experience. Every, everything happens for a reason. It was part of the journey. And so I was thrust into college life, new experiences. I'd never drunk alcohol in my life. Um, I'd never dated in my life. And all of a sudden, it is right there in my face. And I wanted to live that life. Mm -hmm. And totally immersed myself in it. 
much to the disapproval of my mom because she just didn't get it that how all of a sudden have I become this Americanized. But one one of the biggest takeaways was that it allowed me to identify with my being a Zimbabwean, my being an African, which is something that I'm, when I was growing up in Zimbabwe, we always wanted to be what we saw on TV. And I remember the first time someone asked me to say something in my language in, in, in college. And I was like, oh my God, what do I say to them? Because back home, we were all trying to be all English. You know, who can speak the best, um, who has the best accent? Who speaks the best um, English? Is it the Americans? Is it the British? So we had all these different accents going on. And we totally forgot about our local languages because mm -hmm. speaking our local languages would just make us ordinary. And so being in college allowed me to then start identifying with, with, with being an African. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that sits with me, actually. Right. <laughs> that, and, right. that, no, it, no it, and it does because, you know, I so rarely hear when I have folks on the show, and this is why I always like having African voices, because right. we don't, you've just unpacked something there. And I, and I saw it growing <laughs> up, right? And it's, and it's right, because a lot of our media on the continent came from, and I'm especially, I think when you were growing up, especially when I was right. growing up, for us right. came from the British, the French, and then the Americans, if you had yes. access, right? Yeah. And so that was the standard. I, and I, the thing is, I've always had this accent. So when I moved to Canada, right. that, that's a right. whole other story. But, yes. <laughs> but you're right. I, I always think about you're, at a, you're a young person and we always want to, here's the thing, when we're young, we don't want to stand out. <laughs> and that doesn't matter the country, right? And so then to be in a space where people are like, well, tell me something in your language. And I, I'm not going to presume in my head, I'm thinking it's Shona, but I could be wrong. Yes, uh, yes, you're absolutely <laughs> correct. Yes. You know, and, and, and then you're thinking, what do I say? Because I've been so, I've been trying to practice the way y'all sound. Yes. <laughs> now you want me to be me. Yes. So, so what did you, what did you do? Did you find something and say it or what, or, or what was the, what was kind of the next step for you? Like, what happened? I think it was easy for me to pick something. I, I eventually picked up something, just like a normal greeting. And then this guy was like, oh, my God, that is so cool. And so for a season, he would see me and he would be like, hey, Deipi, which is like, what's up? And so a lot of people around us started wondering, what, what language are we speaking? And one of my professors got wind of it and then asked me to come and speak about Zimbabwe and the languages we have and the food we eat. And in the process, they, when, when they asked me, how many languages do you have in Zim? And I was like, um, I kind of don't know, but I think we have about 11 or 14 official languages. And yeah. they asked me to speak in the other languages and the school system in Zim is if you're not in a region or province where you actually speak Shona, you don't get to learn the other languages. So again, that opened up a door for me to start wanting to learn the different languages uh, in Zimbabwe. At that moment, I didn't even know what impact, it will have in my career later on. Mm. Um, and I guess when we progress with the whole conversation, yeah. it will actually pop up. So where did you, so this college experience, was it happening in Dallas or was it New York, California? Where, where did you go to college or where, where was this happening? So initially I started off college again in Dallas mm -hmm. and then I moved to California. So I actually had, uh, I actually had three majors, well, at different times, uh, before I even decided or took the whole culinary school path. Yeah. Um, as the confused African I was <laughs> coming right. into America, I wanted to become a doctor. Of course. 
I'm a driver kid. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean. Doctor, engineer, accountant. What's the other one? Lawyer? lawyer. <laughs> there's a like there's only right, right. Yes. So, I mean, it was my grandma's wish for me to become a doctor. So it made of sense course. for me to. To, 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 to major in biology, <laughs> which is what I was doing. And as soon as I was done with that, I was like, you know what? I want to move. I'm tired of Dallas. I want to move. So I moved to the West because I thought the West would be cool. I'll be closer to LA. San Francisco was right around the corner. I was in a small town called Fresno. And I don't know why I picked Fresno. Actually, I don't know why I picked Fresno, but I picked Fresno, small little farming town. But the beauty about Fresno was that it was right in the middle of L.A. and San Francisco on either way. So it made it made sense for me to be there at that moment. And then so I finished off my biology degree there. And then I decided that I wanted to do something different. Mm. Um, I think my granddad passed on. So I was speaking to her, I was speaking to her brother and then her brother was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of other things here. Why don't you find something that we can work with, uh, within the political space, within the government space. And so I decided to do political science with the hope of getting into foreign service and, Full that disclosure, poli sci major. So I finished that. Um, and by that time, I moved to the Bay. Um, and so I finished that. And then I was just like, you know what? This man is not going to give me a job. Because <laughs> I really, in fact, I actually went back home. Uh, I went back to Zimbabwe and spoke to him and he was talking a whole lot of stuff and i realized in the middle of of my conversations with him he's not giving me a job so go back (laughs) and then i'm this confused like 23 year old no at that time i was 24 sorry i'm this confused 24 year old who's trying to figure out what to do with his life He's enjoyed college, everything about it, and now needs to get serious because everyone doesn't take him seriously. Right. And so I, I, I had a chance encounter with a motivational speaker who had just come in from Finley. Uh, and when I sat down with him, he started asking me about my passion, started asking me about the things that I care about in life. And music and food came up. And then he said, yeah, music, I get it. But the moment you started talking about food, your face lit up. Like, Mm -hmm. you understand, I can tell you understand food. I can tell you love food. And I I, I told him that I've been cooking since I was six because my mom sort of like forced it on me that every Saturday we make breakfast together. So it moved from breakfast, then it went to lunch. And then Sunday dinners became the kids' responsibilities. And as, as, as the eldest, I was the one who, who, who bore the brunt more of making dinner. So food, I could speak food more than all my other siblings. So hmm. he said, okay, so why don't you do something with food? I was like, well, you know, I come from an African setup. And I'm really not going to tell my mom that I want to become a chef or a cook or can you spend thousands of dollars paying for culinary school? Mm-hmm. And then he said, well, that's your passion. And as long as you're not going to follow your passion, you're going to keep going up and down. Maybe next time you will come and tell me that you want to be a lawyer. Next time you want to come and tell me that you want to be something else. and." Instead of following your passion, you'll end up on this route. So I listened to him. I listened to him and I went to culinary school. And that's how I ended up in New York and finished it off back in in the Western California. You know, you said something that I was just thinking to myself. That is not a field 
that you hear, especially when we're talking about African parents and families, right? Yes, yes. Even though it is a respected field, especially right. the higher the higher up you go, it's right. not something that people think it's like you could be a sh- you know what I mean? Like they could get their hands yes. around you being yes. a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, politician, but it's like a sh- what does that mean? <laughs> like you're cooking yes. food, right? <laughs> like this food yes. that we cook. <laughs> yes, like me, I can I can cook food in this household. <laughs> right. I can cook food. So what are you saying? You want to go to school to learn to cook the food. You come to me, I teach you how to cook. Cook food? That's just how it is. Right. You know, and so I didn't even tell them that this is, I didn't tell my mom that this is what I was doing. I was just, at this stage, I just did whatever I wanted to do. Um, She was happy to get me back to the States though. Okay. Because she, she didn't want me roaming around the streets of Harare doing nothing. So she wanted to get me back to the States. And so I told her, I'm going to the Culinary Institute of America. And uh, and, uh, and she was like, oh, okay. All right, great. When do you start? I'm like, uh, I've been accepted. So I start this fall. And she was like, okay. Play tickets sorted. Next thing I knew, I was in New York. I was like, thank you, Lord. Because she didn't want you. How, how long had you been in Zimbabwe while this was going on? I had stayed in Zimbabwe for a year and a half. Oh, so she really was where okay, so this wasn't yes. like you went back for like two months or six weeks or no, no, whatever. No, 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 no. Well, you were initial initially I'd gone there for just a little bit. Mm. So at that stage, I guess she realized that okay, you know what? He stayed there for so long, he's not doing anything. I'm not right. seeing any career moves. I've spoken to my uncle, he's spoken to his uncle, and there seems like there's no mute like this guy is doing nothing. Let yeah. me get him back before he becomes a burden on other people. Mm, gotcha. And let me ask you this, though. In that in that short time, I mean, career searching was standing. What right. was it like to live back in, in Zimbabwe after being in the States for so many years or for several years? I went there for a few weeks, months, maybe at most. And I stayed there for a year and a half. I mean, life was good. <laughs> life was good because one, I didn't have any responsibilities. I didn't have any bills to pay. I was just burdening everybody else but myself. <laughs> um, but it was also a tough time because that was 2000 and, 2005. And a lot of things were changing in Zimbabwe. That's when Literally everything was plummeting. The yeah. fuel queues, um, food shortages in the stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it was just a crazy moment, and anything to get out of that situation. I think that's what my mom saw, and little did she know that getting me out of that space at that time would actually lead to my career my actual career. Yeah. Yeah. And so you come back, you do your training. Yes. What's your first job at a culinary school? (laughs) So my first job uh, out of culinary school uh, was in California again. And I was a, what was, I was a line cook. Uh, in the banqueting department and I don't know what my head chef saw in me but within a space of three months I had been moved up to a chef de partie and I swear I swear I I know he's going to listen to this I'm going to let him listen to this um at some point, I thought that this man was sent from hell to punish me for any wrongdoing I had done because he molded and shaped me in a way nobody else had ever done in my life. Even my own mom had never done that. So that was my first job. Um, in fact, that was my first and last job in the U.S. Um 
because immediately after that, I started a little private catering company with a friend. And we had the opportunity of serving some of San Francisco's finest. And we thought we were it. You know, we were still young. And some of my friends who were living in L.A. heard about us. And they said, why don't you move here? My friend said he will stay in San Francisco. And I moved to L.A. And continued doing private chefing gigs before everybody was a private chef. Um, and then one day I had a conversation. I was having a conversation with my mom and she was like, oh, she's been thinking about going back home. Um, it's been almost 10 years and she's been thinking about going back home. And I was like, oh, that's not a bad idea. And so the more I thought about it, the more I actually started seeing a lot of me going back to Zimbabwe and changing the food landscape, bringing in new trends, showing them how to do new things. Uh, because the hospitality, food industry, culinary arts industry in Zimbabwe is pretty archaic. And so I was eager and looking forward to going in and changing the landscape. And so I went home and I literally called my mom and I said, Hey mom, you know, I'll be leaving LA in a few weeks time. Uh, I'm actually buying my ticket. Um, is there anything you want me to pick to pick up in Dallas so I can swing by um, on my way there? And she was like, going to Zimbabwe, when? Wow, how? I said, but we talked about it. You were talking about wanting to go back, and I'm just acting on it. And so she said, "Good luck, all the best." And I left, and I came, and I came to Africa. I went back to Zimbabwe, and going back to Zimbabwe. When I landed in Zimbabwe, I think for a good solid two, three years. I thought about this as being the worst decision I've ever made. Um, I wanted to go, I, I really wanted to go back. I regretted coming, I, 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 re, I regretted going to Zimbabwe. I wanted to go back to the States because all I saw were my friends, my schoolmates, excelling, opening up restaurants, taking up all these big posts in these big restaurants and I'm thinking like I was even better than you and deep down I knew I had a calling to be in Zimbabwe or Africa in general and I just didn't know what it was and so I stuck around I stuck around Zimbabwe for a good uh Six years. And it was probably the toughest six years of my life. Because at some point, I actually got homeless because I was unemployed. And no one wanted to, no one wanted to stay with me. No one wanted to look after a grown man. And I got homeless at some point, walking up the streets of Harare at night. Uh, my mom didn't want to hear anything because she said, oh, you made your decision, you're grown. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
So we're back with the the episode after the break. And as you were hearing the story, he was going over kind of, you know, really rough seasons he was dealing with when he went back to Zimbabwe early in his career. And so I guess what I'm interested in hearing is how did you turn that situation around, right? Like, how did you go from basically trying to figure things out, being homeless to moving forward? I think I got tired. Honestly, I got tired of the moving around in circles and nothing coming up. And so an agency picked me up and said there was a job uh, at one of the prominent hotels in Harare. Um, It was a low-level job, um, but I didn't mind. At that stage, I just wanted a foot into the industry and to know that I could move around and figure out how the industry just works in Zimbabwe. So I took up, I took up this job. It was for two years, mm-hmm. um, which made it my longest job ever. Um, but I learned a lot of valuable information about the hospitality in Zimbabwe in general. Um, and while I was there, uh, an opportunity came forth uh, with a private restaurant that was opening up a couple of franchise restaurants and they were looking for a kitchen manager. So I ended up moving away from there and into a more private sector kind of field that was non-affiliated with most of the hospitality shenanigans. <laughs> um, but it was also great for me because it would also then allow me to see how private businesses within the same uh, space are being are being run. And then after that, it was, I think at that moment, social media was picking up. Yeah. Uh, um, social media was picking up. Instagram was picking up. Uh, everyone had started posting pictures. I mean, I had an Instagram page already, uh, but the rest of Zimbabwe was now was now catching up. Right. And so a lot of them got to see a lot of my pictures and that started opening up doors of opportunity for private events, catering gigs, etc. And again, job offers started coming up because people would see my work on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I moved on to another job which is what a lot of chefs do. A lot of chefs don't stick around in one place. They move up and about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess it's the idea of experiencing new menus, different types of cuisines, and of course, more money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and here's here's what I think is super cool. I mean, going back to the Instagram thing, is that yeah, right. y- you had a presence you know, it's like small, you know, big fish in a bit of a small pond, right? You were smart enough or able to tap into a pre like to create a presence where it was easier for you to become known because probably a lot of your peers there weren't doing that at that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that, that sets, uh, that set me up for, if I could call it, some form of success because at that stage, like you rightfully said, a lot of a lot of my peers were not doing it, and a lot of them didn't even understand the importance of of social media. To them, it was like, oh, don't go onto social media. There's a lot of drama. People getting involved, showing up, uh, and exposing their personal lives. Right. Uh, I was using social media as a business tool. So whatever I post, if I do an event, if I've got a menu that I want people to see, I was posting up my rates. At that moment, it, it, it became like my little micro website. I really didn't need a website. I, I, I ended up just using between my Facebook page and my, my, my Instagram. And because of these opportunities that were coming up, uh, an international recruiting agency then also popped up and said, hey, you know what? We have an opportunity in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Um, we have a global brand 
coffee company that's looking for 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 a kitchen manager, and you kind of fit the you kind of fit the brand because not only are you Zimbabwean and hardworking, you've also lived um, in the U.S. and you have you know like all this first world experience. So we want you yeah. to come along. I, can, I was going to say, I can see the appeal with your background, right? Because obviously you, you've been in some, you've been in an African market, but right. you've also had, you've had Western training, right? And so absolutely, I'm sure that that's like the gold, I don't want to say the golden ticket, but I'm sure that especially for international luxury brands, even more the higher end brand, right? Absolutely. You kind of have Absolutely. the best of both worlds. Can I ask you this though, before you continue? Cause I realize I haven't asked sure. you this. What type of cuisine do you like to focus on? Like, what is your area you think of expertise? Like, what do you think is, is your signature? I have evolved. I have evolved. When I first moved to Zimbabwe, it was all about Mexican food. Because Really? I did not see, I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you why, because there was a huge gap in Zimbabwe. No one was doing Mexican food. I can see that. <laughs> and I could say habla espanol. Like I could habla espanol like you know, like habla it. Right. And <laughs> so it made absolute sense. I mean, I had I had Hispanic friends. My, my 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 mom and my siblings had Hispanic best friends. And so it made sense for me to do Mexican food because nobody in Zimbabwe at that moment really understood it. I knew how guacamole tastes, how yeah. it's made authentically. I knew how sour cream is made. And so it was easy for me to get a job. Uh, one of my, my, my small gigs when I was moving around was to work in a, in a Mexican restaurant. I basically sold the concept to the guy that let's do Mexican food. And we did Mexican food. And it was quite a hit. And so I needed to move on to the next venture. So that was what I had when I came in. I was giving back my knowledge like I'd always wanted. Over time, over time, that developed into something more magical and amazing. So today, if you ask me what is my favorite cuisine, my favorite cuisine right now is Afro-Asian cuisine. Hmm. What does that look like? So, <laughs> this is the West African in me going, what does this right. look like? I so love some it, Asian food and I love some West African food. So so, so, so think, think West African ingredients, Japanese techniques. Hmm. Okay. Think Japanese food <laughs> using Japanese food using West African cuisine. Is West there, African ingredients. Is there a plantain anywhere in the story? Oh, you can have plantain. <laughs> okay. You can have plantain. <laughs> you can like, have jollof. I'm trying so, to like <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I can go so, with this. So that's where I that's where I am. But leaning more to Afrofusion itself. I think Afro-Asian branches off Afrofusion, uh, just like you can then have Afro-Italian, Afro-French. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> and you're, you're basically trying to say that we want to marry two different types of cuisines together. Right. If possible, you can bring in three, four, five. And so I've had the privilege of having, uh, we're running a Afro-Asian, an Afro-Asian restaurant here in Accra. And also we just opened a Afro-Fusion, Pan-Asian, I mean, Pan-Afro uh, restaurant, uh, which is getting into its second week now. So I get to play a lot with African ingredients, uh, traditional African cooking methods and bringing them in a more modern, more modern uh, format that people can actually look at and say, oh, okay, I relate to that. Hmm. I can understand that. So tell me, and, and, and you just, because you, you just mentioned it, 
what ended up leading to you moving to Ghana? Pan-Africanism. Plain and simple. That's the theme these days, yeah. Okay. Plain and simple Pan-Africanism, but I'd always wanted to move to Ghana. I'd always wanted to have this connection with Ghana. Ever since uh, my African-American studies professor talked about Ghana, he was from Ghana, and he taught me African-American uh, studies because I was minoring in African-American studies when I was in Fresno. And he would talk so boldly and celebratory about Ghana that even as an African, as a Zimbabwean, I felt like I want to go to Ghana. And so when the opportunity came up for a for a college tour to go to Ghana, I actually signed up. And then having an opportunity to get a job offer in Ghana uh, even doubled up that whole excitement about moving here. And the fortunate thing or fortunate thing is that the job that I'm currently at was not actually my first offer. I had actually come to Ghana for a for a tryout, for an interview, practical interview with another company the year before. And we just didn't meet well on terms and conditions. The T's and C's were just not adding up. Yeah. So I I I reluctantly declined that offer. I was just like, you know what, I'm not gonna do this. Uh and I turned them down. And then when this opportunity came up, it was like, I didn't think twice about it, but at the same time, I did think twice about it because I was now, uh, I had done my my stint in the UAE, I'd done my stint in Bahrain, and I had come back to Zimbabwe and I'd set up a whole, like kind of like mom, mom and pop kind of donut shop, and it was going really well, and my private chefing business was running equally the same way. And I'm like, should I leave or shouldn't I? But the idea of moving to Ghana was really fueled by, by wanting to learn more about some of the things that I'd learned in high school and in college about us as Africans and how the whole uh, slave trade and, how Kwame Nkrumah was the president of the first African uh, independent country. Yeah. And I, I, I really wanted to immerse myself in that. At some point, honestly speaking, I feel like at some point I lost, I lost my African identity when I was in the U.S. And I even lost it more when I started traveling to all these different parts of the world for jobs because I realized the way people looked at me as an African was kind of different mm. when I said I was African-American from when I said I was African-American. I got, um, if I can call it a, a, a silver hand, if I said I was African-American as compared to when I said I was African. So I started identifying more with my American South yeah. than my African South. So Ghana, Ghana sort of like brought me back. Hmm. Ghana brought me back to, and centered me back to being an African. And, you know, it's interesting as you're speaking, because I, I think to myself, we don't and and you might because of the industry you're in, sure. but we don't necessarily hear so much about African chefs. Absolutely. Right. We we hear, you know, for those who follow the culinary world, I mean, even when you're watching like popular shows on Netflix or whatever, right? But we don't, you know, I always, I, I will be very honest, my ears always perk up when I see something and I hear it's an African chef. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, number one, <laughs> what? because number one, those are not fields, as you and I talked about earlier, that we're often encouraged to go into. Yes. And number two, without fail, and they can be amazing chefs, 
they always still bring that whatever their African identity reference point is always right. makes it into the food. And, I, and part of me is like, yeah, go ahead. Make that fufu. They need to know about right. it. We know about right. fettuccine right. and we're not Italian. So let's know right. about, let's right. or whatever. Let's let them know about some of these dishes that some of y'all can't pronounce. And so, and so that I, I think that's cool, though. I, I You know, you saying that Ghana kind of, it's almost like Ghana has centered you. In, in that identity space. It has. It has. It has made me appreciate being Zimbabwean more. It has made me appreciate being an African more in spaces where I would have normally been quick to say, hi, my name is Kudokwashe and I'm an, I'm an American. I'm quick to say more than ever, hi, I'm Kudokwashe and I am a Zimbabwean. Mm. Sadly, the sad this the sad part is my accent has also kind of evolved. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I won't say I have an American accent. I won't say I have an African. I think I have more of like a multicultural, yeah. transatlantic kind of accent. My Zimbabwean my Zimbabwean accent pops in. My my American accent pops in. And wherever I've lived, I've I've, I've picked up little pronunciations and whatnot and it all comes into one accent and sometimes more than ever my american accent pops up more because i feel like that's where i spent a lot of my really formative years uh where i was learning a lot more than in zim or anywhere else and so when my american accent pops up a lot of people will be like hey but you sound american and then don't, I have to tell them the story. Don't we because... all? <laughs> sorry, sorry. I mean, I'm... I, and, no, because you get it. Right. You get it. And so you have to explain why you have an accent. Right. I've, all, I've, I've had to explain why I've sounded this way. I've had to explain why I speak English and not French because my family's from the minority side of Cameroon, which is the English oh, speaking. Wow. Right. I've had to explain that... Uh, to Cameroonians, they're like, you actually, did you live there? I say, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because it, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, it does, right. <laughs> I have my Zimbabwean friends who will come to me and say, oh, Kuda, now you, since you moved to Ghana, you sound more American than you were sounding when you were in Zimbabwe. I was like, yeah, because I'm in Ghana and I'm speaking more English. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm in Zimbabwe, I'm speaking Shana with you guys. <laughs> so you guys never really got to hear me speak English. Because you didn't need to. But I'm not speaking Shauna with anyone. I'm speaking English 24-7. Right. <laughs> and so it, it's become part of me again. It's almost like I feel like I've, I've moved back to the U.S., although I'm stuck in, 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 in a crowd. <laughs> but I feel like I've moved to the U.S. because I speak English with everybody here. And so all that is... You know, you know, there's a funny thing about all of this. I got approached by a satellite TV network. They wanted to do a TV show on African chess. And at some point they wanted to do, they wanted me to, to, to try out for a Zimbabwean one. And so they asked me to do a video because they've seen my social media and whatever. So they asked me to do a, a, um, a TV show. I mean, uh, a little video clip, sort of like an audition for them. And here I am, and I'm speaking my normal thing. I'm introducing myself. I'm introducing the dish and talking about the dish that they asked me to talk about. And then I get an email from one of the producers, and they're like, oh, yeah, so we had a few questions we wanted to ask you. And I'm like, sure, shoot. I'm like, yeah, my executive producer wanted to know, um, have you lived in the U.S. before? And I'm like, uh, no. Uh, it says that, I, I mean, it's all over my social media or whatever. And clearly my accent is not manufactured. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, because we kind of picked it up. Okay, well... Can you make your accent a little bit more Zimbabwean? I was like, 
how how do I do that? <laughs> because even when I was in Zimbabwe, I never had a Zimbabwean accent. Right. When I was in Zimbabwe, because of the kind of schools we went to, the entertainment we were exposed to, we all had these yeah. little accents, made up accents, or whatever you want yep. to call it. Yep. And so I don't, I don't, I don't understand when, when. Um, you say a Zimbabwean accent. So they said, oh, no, just give it a go. And I said, okay, because I wanted to be on TV. I mean, who doesn't want to have a show on TV? So I went back and I started recording and I was trying to imitate all these other Zimbabwean accents that are not really accents, but how other Zimbabweans speak. Up until I realized that, you know what? I'm li- I'm wasting my time. I'm literally wasting my time because that's not who I am. And if you want to have a show with me, going to America, studying in America, living in America, becoming an American citizen is part of my story. Yeah. And if you can't accept that because it's not African, oh, so I I I I, I declined. I respectfully declined. And I said, I'm sorry, I won't be able to do it. Thank you so much for considering me. Uh, I guess there are more platforms for me to talk about my story. You know what? And so (laughs) I thought about it and I said, I actually have a a major identity identity crisis. I don't know. I don't know if you you would relate to it, but for me, in America, I'm not American enough. Uh, my name doesn't sound American. My accent is not fully American. I go to Zimbabwe. Um, Zimbabweans, when they hear my accent, they, they, they're wondering, why am I trying to fake an American accent? <laughs> right. <laughs> and the rest of Africa is saying my accent is not African enough. Right. So where do I fit in? This if I go to the UAE... Right. The UAE is not ready to identify me as an American. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I go to England, I'm not an American either because they'll ask me which American is called Kudokwashi <laughs> Maponi. So I'm out here saying, no, it's not Kudokwashi. It's Kudokwashi. <laughs> so that sounds American enough for them. No. No. <laughs> That's my dilemma. That's my dilemma. like, I just need to get that out. <laughs> I, 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 I needed to let that out because it, you, it's, it's, I order an Uber to go to work. The guy sees my picture is of a black man. Right. My profile picture of Uber is a black man. The first thing he's going to say to me is, hello in chi or God. Right. Local Ghanaian languages. Right. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm not from here. The guy picks me up. I get into his car. The first thing he's going to ask me is like, hey, so you Americans. I say, oh, no, I'm not from America. I'm actually from Zimbabwe. Hey, from Zimbabwe. (laughs) With an accent. Hey, you must have lived in America. (laughs) I was like... What's the fascination with people and accents? <laughs> I think I've told the story once before. Right. <laughs> Wrapped up, I'm going to say this. I was in Doha. I was living and working. I was standing in line. I look like me, Black woman. At the time, I had a shaved head, so my hair was low. Right. And I was standing in line, and this guy cuts me off. <laughs> right? He cuts in front of me. Like, I'm not standing wow. in line. <laughs> he subs yeah. in front of me. And me being me was like, excuse me. <laughs> he turns right. around and goes, oh, God, American? I was like, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And he gets behind me. <laughs> and where was he from? I don't even. He I, he wasn't American. Uh, okay. He was of, of, of brown persuasion. But I say that being in that part of the world, there's a lot of brown he could have been from. Right. Right. Probably off the Asian continent, if I had to guess. Oh. Somewhere. Yeah. And I and I and I 
I say this because I understand, right? I've definitely been in situations where the way I present, especially if I have braids in my hair and depending on what's going on, it's mm-hmm. so definitely, okay, she's African. I mean, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> but no. then I open my mouth and then they're like, oh no, she's American. <laughs> and and it like, changes everything. It does change everything. And it shouldn't, but it does. And I don't, I don't use that privilege often right in that case right. i was just annoyed so it really was just me being like i'm gonna you're gonna get out of front like i've been standing here waiting to get my phone fixed right <laughs> like right but as soon as he heard it he immediately was like i don't want this smoke and i was like yeah exactly wow so wow. i i get it right like i I've been in positions where Nigerians start talking to me in Yoruba and I'm like, you know, I'm not Nigerian. Right. And then they get mad. This is my favorite part. Then they get mad. You were wrong. I was crossing the street. You saw me. You started talking Yoruba. I told you I'm not Yoruba. And then you got mad as if it's my fault. I said, honestly, is it my fault though? You're the one who started talking. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but I wow. feel you. I totally feel you. And I think especially for those of us who look like the local population. I mean, that's blending in, though. (laughs) You look like the local population. Oh, absolutely. And then they're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) You ain't. Especially, I think, for those of us who've lived on the continent and kind of have some of the mannerisms and know what's happening. Because they're also, you know, there are plenty of Black Americans who go, for example, or Black Canadians or Black Brits. And they're like, okay, you're definitely not from here. But I think especially when you have a cultural familiarity. It's it's it it trips people up and it's actually sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's annoying because I'm like, also, yes, I can be black and I can be African and I can be not from your country. <laughs> that is an option. There are 55, oh. 56 of them. But let me ask you this as, as we start to like look at our time. Sure. Sure. Go ahead. What do you where how do you see your time in Ghana, right? Like you've been here, you've been in Ghana for a couple of years now. Do you see yourself staying in the in the region or do you see yourself going to somewhere else in Africa? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Okay. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay to not have an answer either. I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I have I have I have an answer, but I have answers. Um <laughs> You know, as a as and and I think the context really as a black expat, we we leave our countries to go work. Otherwise, I'm sure your blog would be called the Black Tourist if we were talking about tourism and stuff. Yeah, and I think one of the major challenges that I've had is is I always leave. Let's say I always leave Zimbabwe for a country because I'm excited about maybe a singular opportunity that is there. And I don't look at the full picture. And being in Ghana for four and a half years the makes it uh, the third longest country that I've lived in behind Zimbabwe and the U.S., Shows, I love Ghana as a country, career-wise, from a personal perspective, I may have picked up a few things, but at the same time, it may not have been the best move for me. Um, The industry in Ghana is not as uh, raised up as, let's say, East and Southern Africa. I think even, for example, like Cameroon, in terms of hospitality, they're even better. They just don't have as many uh, opportunities to showcase it as Ghana does. Nigeria could be the same as well. Um, they they try and elevate um, the industry as a whole. That's the one thing lacking in Ghana that won't keep me in Ghana. Because the strides I was expecting to have seen in the four and a half years of not happening. 
Would I stay in Ghana because of the people? Absolutely, yes. I've met the most amazing, beautiful people in my whole entire life in this country. And so many times I've wanted to turn in that reservation letter. I've not done it because of the people that I have made friends with here. Some are even more like family. Um, so do I see myself in Ghana? I'm not sure. Would I go to another part of the continent? Absolutely, yes. But I'm also not getting any younger. So my next move will definitely be to start something on my own. And wherever I decide to go, whichever continent it is, I'm starting something on my own. That's the only reason why I've moved. You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter, or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. <laughs>